Well, we, we mentioned last week that chapter 10 starts a new focus in 2 Corinthians where Paul is now focusing uh, his issues, his themes on what we might call the unrepentant minority at Corinth. So he's before been focusing on those issues that had to do with the uh, repentant majority, those in Corinth who received what Paul had written and, and made the changes accordingly. And now he's really wanting to focus on those that are still in Corinth who are maybe not wanting to receive what he has to say. In fact, these that are in Corinth, though Paul continues to write to the whole church, these that are in Corinth, these what he would call false apostles or false teachers, what they're wanting to do is undermine Paul. They're wanting to undermine his authority. They're wanting to undermine his credibility because they know in doing so, they undermine the gospel that Paul preaches, the gospel that he brought to Corinth. And they want to undermine that gospel because they themselves want to have power over the people in Corinth. This is important to understand because one of the things that we sense as we read 2 Corinthians is that Paul is very hesitant to defend himself. Paul's not looking to say, hey, back off, this, is, this was my church, I planted this church, you can't tell me what to do. There's not that mindset of all. He, he, he recognized that anyone who came to Christ belonged to Christ, never to him. And that he was wanting to be a good pastor to these people, he loved these people, and because he loved these people, when these false teachers came in and they were undermining him, his authority, he knew that means it would undermine the gospel that he preached to them. So this is not simply just Paul wanting to defend himself. This is Paul wanting to, ex- to defend the very gospel of God. And that's important for us to understand. Because th- to, to understand that is to recognize what it is that we need to be ready to defend. Th- this doesn't have a direct application, or an, I should say it doesn't have the immediate application to, say, Adam and I as church pastors. We have an authority in this church, yes. We have a responsibility in this church, yes. But not equal to that of the Apostle Paul. So the application immediately isn't there. Or the application would probably be, the immediate application would be to the Word of God itself. To the New Testament specifically. The doctrine of the Apostles. What they said. That's the authority that needs to be upheld. And so Paul, in defending himself, is is giving us, or we, we should say the Holy Spirit is giving us reasons and motivations why it's important to recognize what is actual ministry credibility. And so that's what we're going to look at today in this last part of chapter 10. We're going to look at, uh, basically, again, we don't do this on purpose, by the way. It just happens there happens to be three points again, okay? But I don't do that on purpose, just so you know. But there's three things I want to talk to you about ministry credibility today. So if you have a little uh, A- I guess it would be a five sheet of paper, a half sheet of paper that has the basic outline for you in case you get lost with me speaking too fast. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So Paul asks these people, he says, do you look at things according to outward appearance? He's basically challenging this unrepentant minority by saying, look, how are you judging me? What's the standard by which you're judging my ministry? Because as he says uh, lower down in verses 9 and 10, right? He says, look, I I guess I terrify you by my letters because as you say, they're weighty and powerful. In other words, these false teachers didn't deny that that what Paul wrote had substance. It had some, at least some merit. They couldn't deny the logic of his arguments. But they thought, yeah, but do we really need to trust his arguments? Because when he strolls in the town, 
He's not very impressive. Now, church history tells us about Paul, what he looked like. We know a little bit about from the second century things that they wrote about what they said Paul looked like. And he was short, bald-headed, bow-legged, and he had a hooked nose. And supposedly he, he had really bad eyesight. In fact, a lot of us think that maybe that eyesight is what he's referring to, that thorn in the flesh he refers to later on in 2 Corinthians. But you can imagine this guy writing these letters, and if you've never met Paul, you, you can imagine the letters being kind of read in a deep, authoritative voice. I, Paul, say to you today. And then he shows up in court and says, I got something to say. This little kind of goofy-looking guy. And he wasn't a very good communicator. And because he wasn't a very good communicator, people thought, come on. Especially the Greek culture, they were all into you know, oratory. They wanted to hear people speak well. And so Paul, Paul would say, look, are you just judging by outward appearance? Are you looking at me and going, hmm, yeah, well, you're not very impressive, dude. Is that how you're judging? And Paul says, in answer to that, in verse 7, he says, if anyone is convinced that he is Christ's, let him consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. Now Paul's kind of saying, he's not saying these false teachers are also equal to him. He's basically saying, look, if you would think, if you have reason to think you belong to Jesus, that you are called by Jesus to ministry, this is not just about being Christians, but about being called to that sort of apostolic ministry. If you think you have evidence for that, I even more so. He's not condoning the fact that these guys make themselves out to be apostles and are not. He calls them out. But in this point, he's saying, okay, fine, you think there's evidence for you? Here's the evidence of my apostleship. And so he says in verse 8, For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us, notice, for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be, uh, I shall not be ashamed. I love this because you could read this this way. If you read this more literally, he could say that this authority that we've given has been for building up and not for tearing down. Remember what, what they're bothered by with Paul's presence. We talked about this a little bit last week that Paul says, look, I'm pleading with you in verse one of chapter 10 with the meekness and gentleness of Christ that he came on the scene and instead of kind of saying, I'm the apostle and I'm gonna thump my chest and you're gonna do what I say, he came with meekness and gentleness wanting to convince them of the truth by loving them and by explaining it clearly. And so as he does this, he's saying, look, you know, we came and we didn't come to tear you down. We didn't want to say, hey, you guys are rubbish and this is why you're rubbish and we're going to tear down uh, all, all that you think you are. He came in with meekness initially, even though he was treated badly by the Corinthians. Why? Because he knew the authority that he had was to build people up. Now, we talk about this word edify or edification and building up. And unfortunately, we tend to interpret that as make us feel good. So people would say, man, I was really just built up today in service. I was really edified today in service. And often what we mean by that is, man, it just felt good to be at church. Nothing wrong with feeling good. <laughs> well, we, we, there's nothing wrong with feeling good. Got no problem with that whatsoever. But you know what it means to edify? What it literally means it means to, listen, build according to a plan. It's a construction term. It's an, a term of architecture. It's here's the blueprints, and it looks just like Jesus. And this is how the Holy Spirit's going to build you. So me, Paul would say, as a master builder, am building you according to plan. I want to build you up. I want to see you shaped and put together and assembled 
like Jesus, according to plan, according to who he is, what he's done, and what he said. That's what it means to edify. And so Paul's saying, this is why I came. Paul's basically saying, look, my credibility comes from how I use my authority to build people up, to make them like Jesus, not to tear them down. Whereas the false teachers would tend to use the guilt associated with God's law to manipulate and get authority over people. Now, he goes on to say, in verse 11, he says, let such a person, in other words, the person who thinks that I shouldn't be listened to or that I'm contemptible, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we're absent will be indeed when we show up. Now, this speaks again about Paul's godly authority, that Paul is making sure that his actions meet up with his convictions, that what he's doing is not only just doing to, to edify, uh, make people feel good, but to edify, build according to the plan. He says, my conviction is that God has predestined every believer to be conformed to the image of Christ. Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 8. And because that's my convictions, my actions are going to match that, including removing anything or anyone who keeps that from happening. And so Paul's being really clear. He's saying, listen... When I come to town, you, you better know that I, I'm not going to be speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm going to do what I said needs to be done. So in a sense, this, this is, in a sense, a threat. Paul is basically saying, look, I, God has called me to draw the line in the sand. I've drawn the line in the sand. You guys keep wanting to erase the sand, and I'm saying, no, that's the line. And just because I've been nice about it, every time I've come back to Corinth and said, uh, redraw that line, it's right here, doesn't mean that if you cross that line, I'm not going to give you the boot. That's basically what he's saying. Now, this is important because it, it, there, there is a general application to how we do ministry. I don't mean just we as servants, churches, and some sort of an organization. I mean we as God's people, as Jesus' followers. That God calls us to do organization, or I'm sorry, God calls us to do ministry like this, not according to outward appearances, but godly authority. Which means that the kind of ministry that we want to do is a kind of ministry that is in the character of Christ. It's according to that picture, that meekness, that gentleness, that, that commitment to truth, but also according to the authority of Christ. He is Lord. His word is truth. What he says goes. That's what we want to do. In fact, listen to what, what Paul writes to the Corinthians the first time. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. Paul talking about the use of the spiritual gifts or the work of God's Spirit amongst us, which every believer should be experiencing. He says, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts or the work of the Spirit, notice, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. In other words, his rebuke to the Corinthian church was, so often you guys want to work in the Spirit or walk in the Spirit for your own edification. I want to be built up. I want to do what I think Jesus wants me to do. And Paul says, no, our mindset needs to be, how can this person be built up? How can I help this person become like Jesus, know Jesus, trust Jesus? That should be our motivation for ministry. Not, hey, how can I make myself look good? How can I show how spiritual I am or how much progress I've made? Now, how can I help someone else be like Jesus? That was Paul's mindset. That's why Paul's so patient in writing this letter. 
I gotta, I gotta tell you, if I was in Paul's position, this is, this is probably why I would never be in Paul's position, but if I was in Paul's position, I would have said, dude, either shut up or get out. That would have been my whole letter. <laughs> I've written three letters to you. This is the fourth. Shut up or get out. Because that's my natural sinful self would want to just say, I'm gonna just put my foot down. But Paul was much more spiritual, spiritually mature than I am. And he was being patient with these people. Why? Because look, look, it's not about my outward appearance, but it is about this godly authority that God has called me to, this authority of the gospel. So now in verse 12, he says, Now we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves against themselves and compare themselves against themselves, amongst themselves, are not wise. Now, unlike Paul, these false apostles, these false teachers, were measuring themselves by their own standard. So they would basically say, well, we think we should be like this. And here's the list of things we think we should be. Oh, look at that. We happen to be those very things. And they would make up their own standard. Now, this happens quite a bit in the church, doesn't it? We make up our own standard for things. I'm not talking about wrestling through things as culture changes. That's normal. That's part of what we have to do. The gospel isn't changed, but culture changes, and we have to wrestle through, well, how does that affect how we look at this or that? That's normal. That's healthy. But I'm talking about the fact that people go, oh, the culture's doing this. Okay, we better change. That's different. Now, these guys would change, or these guys would sort of set up their own standard by themselves. And Paul specifically didn't do this. He said specifically, that's just a really dumb idea. It's not wise. This is why. Listen to what Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Now, the context of 1 Corinthians 4 is Paul talking about how he and other apostles are what he described as stewards of the truth. So they weren't the ones who created the truth, they were just responsible to deliver the truth. Does that make sense? So he says, look, the people that we're wanting to accuse him of not doing a very good job, because look, I can't think of any way that I've gotten this wrong. But that doesn't mean that I'm right. Because it's God who judges, not us. It's God who holds the standard, not us. We're just delivering to you what he's told us, but he holds the standard, and if we get it wrong, we trust God will judge us. Now what's interesting is how often we as the church can think we got it right and we get it wrong. And you see this specifically when Jesus speaks to John and has him write the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. To the church in Smyrna, remember what he says. Jesus says to the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, I know your works, your tribulations, and your poverty. But he says to them, but you're rich. In other words, Smyrna, which was the persecuted church, thought, man, we're just really suffering and we're just, we're really broke. We're barely scraping by. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That might be your perspective, but my perspective is you're rich. I'm doing great things in you. And we need that, don't we? We need that God, what's your perspective? Because it feels like things aren't happening the way we thought they'd happen. But are you pleased? Are we experiencing your riches? Are you doing what you want to do? Because if you're doing what you want to do, that's the judgment that we want, that you're pleased. But it happens just the opposite as well, right? When we think we're, we're doing well and we're not doing so well. To the church related to the Seans, what does he write in Revelation 3.17? He says, you say, I am rich. I've become wealthy in need of nothing. 
And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We can so easily think, oh, I, I, can, I got the standard right. I'm meeting up to my standard. But guess what? It's not our standard. It's God's standard. What's, what, what does Jesus say? Who is Jesus? What has he done? What does he want? What is he doing? He's the standard. And we measure ourselves against that when it keeps us very humble, but also keeps us completely dependent. Man, Lord, I can't meet that standard. There's no way. I fall short of that standard every minute of every day, it feels like. But you've promised me that you began a good work in me and you're going you're to bring me to that standard. You're going to conform me to the image of Jesus. So these guys would, would measure themselves by themselves. Then notice what happens, verse 13. But Paul says, We, however, will not boast beyond our measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which definitely, especially, includes you. So in other words, Paul says, look, my standard is going to be God's call on my life. God's call on my life, specifically that call to be an apostle. Now, Paul didn't think he earned that right. Paul knew he didn't deserve to be that. In fact, look at what Paul says, again, about his own apostleship in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all the other apostles, is what he's saying. Yet not I laboring, but the grace of God which is in me. In other words, Paul recognized, listen, you know, I'm not exalting myself here. I'm going to simply measure myself by what God's called me to do and trust God for the grace to do it. I don't deserve the position he gives me, but God in his graciousness gave me that position. I don't have the ability to fulfill that position, but God, by his grace, will enable me to do so. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 13, or I'm sorry, verse 14, Paul says, For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. You know, the, the, the goal and the focus of Paul's ministry was Jesus. He wanted people to know Jesus. He said really clearly, we saw this right earlier in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for his sake. Again, going back to 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about this, a similar thing in 1 Corinthians 2. Paul describes his ministry when he came to Corinth initially with the gospel. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Notice, this is why, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, the movement that we're a part of, the Calvary Chapel movement, is nowhere near a perfect movement. It's got all kinds of warts, all kinds of problems. But i got to say, one of the things that blows me away about what God's done with this movement is, if you ever get a chance to listen to the, 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 the first Calvary Chapel pastor, a guy named Pastor Chuck Smith, who's now going to be the Lord, you listen to him, and he sounds like John Wayne before he had a cup of coffee. He kind of talks like this. The psalmist says, and it'll pause, and it'll feel like an hour. 
the psalmist says, Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Yeah, so I talk fast, but I mean, that's the other extreme. And, and the thing was, this middle-aged, bald guy, talking like that, God used to save almost a generation of young people in Southern California. Thousands upon thousands of hippies smacked out of their head on drugs and stuff. God was saving and redeeming and healing and changing through this incredibly boring guy. <laughs> Why? Because it was never about him. And he used to say this to us all the time. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the Spirit of God showing you you need Jesus, the Spirit of God, to change you so you can be like Jesus, the Spirit of God, saving you. And so Paul's wanting to say to these guys, listen, this is the focus of our ministry, and this is important, again, because, listen, it's not just that it's not outward appearance, but godly authority. Here's the second thing. Ministry credibility comes from not self-exaltation. Look at how great I am, but gospel influence. Look how great Jesus is. Look at what God does when you trust him. That's, what, that's, what, that's where authority comes. That's where credibility comes. Now Paul goes on to say, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in, in other man's labors. But if you drop down the, the verse 16, he also talks about, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. You know, Paul never sought success by association. Nothing wrong with associating with other people, other ministries. Definitely nothing wrong with learning from people who, whom God has used. Nothing wrong with that. But we do, don't we live today in a culture that's addicted to celebrity? We, we live in a culture today, guys, let's be honest, where, I mean, it, it blows me away, but, you know, um, my daughters talk about some of the, Noelle specifically talks about some of the makeup guru she watches on YouTube. And, um, and I'm fine with that. They, it's tasteful and she wears her makeup well and she's really good at it. Got no problem with that whatsoever. Um, what, was, what blew me away was when she talked about some of these makeup gurus, how they're like in their early 20s and they are filthy rich from YouTube. How did that happen? And what drives people to go on there? Because we all want to be celebrities. We all want to be known and we all want to associate with those kind of people that are known. This is what's part of our culture. We live in a celebrity culture, and it has seeped into the church, has it not? Where we are looking for the name brand guys, whether in our movement or out of our movement. And again, some of these guys are guys that we should learn from, but the point is, Paul's saying, listen, I didn't do that. I didn't even go to where the other apostles were planting churches. I went to new ground in Corinth and preached the gospel to you because I wasn't wanting to build another man's foundation. I just want to see more people know Jesus. In fact, this whole idea of wanting to, you know, be successful by association, oh, I know so-and-so, I know so-and-so, Paul marks is actually carnal, again, in 1 Corinthians. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 
He says, for one says, oh, I'm of Paul. Another says, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal when you do that? Oh, I prefer that guy. Oh, I really like that guy. Oh, you know, I had, I had lunch with that guy. He and I are Facebook friends. And we have this sort of like, here's how we want to associate. Paul never bought it. He goes, that's just carnality. That's not how we should be. That's not, that's not going to bring any credibility. In fact, he goes on to say, listen, in verse 15, he says, rather than in another man's measure, another man's labor, he says, but having this hope, verse 15, having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. Now, do you understand what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying, listen, we didn't want to kind of just kind of say, oh, that so-and-so's a really good, you know, he's a great preacher, so let's hang out with him and say, oh, we're close to so-and-so. Let's not do that. Instead, we just want to see these guys in Corinth grow in their faith. And as they grow in their faith, our, our credibility expands, and both they and we can take the gospel even farther out. That's what he's saying. He's saying we want to see God be known. We want to see the gospel to have an impact on just more people. That's why Paul's continuing to invest in the Corinthian church. That's why Paul's not wanting to walk away from these guys and not wanting to and wanting to be patient as he's dealing with the false teachers that are coming in. Because he wants to see them grow to maturity so they can see more people come to Jesus. And Paul kind of closes the section off with this. He says, But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Again, got to go back to 1 Corinthians. And what's amazing about this, too, I don't know if you've noticed this, we keep going from 2 Corinthians back to 1 Corinthians. In other words, Paul's like, I've talked about this before. (laughs) And yet he's patiently unpacking it again. Listen to what Paul writes. I'm quoting from the NIV just because I like the way it happened to say this verse. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. No one may boast before God. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, Christ has become for us, wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So here's the reality. It's not the works of men, but the glory of God that brings ministry credibility. See, I, I, I don't, I'm not, how do I say this? I'm trying to think of how I say this without sounding too negative. I'm not entirely happy that sometimes servants is known for two things. Bible teaching and coffee. They're both good. They both have their place. But you know what I, I, I believe God would want us to be known for? Or want us to want to be known for? That people would come to servants and go, those people like Jesus. They're like Jesus. They're becoming like Jesus. We see Jesus when we go there. Now, obviously, good coffee has its place. Keeps you awake for these long sermons. 
and, and teaching the word of God is non-negotiable. But we want people to know Jesus. Paul says, look, it's not about the works of men. It's about the glory of God. It's about God being seen. This is why Paul says to the Galatians, he says, for look, if I, do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Because if I still please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. Paul was one who did ministry in such a way that he wasn't trying to impress people. He was trying to do what's best for them. He wanted them to know Jesus. That sets a pattern for us. God wants us to be the kind of people that the Holy Spirit is working in so that we are becoming more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we have more credibility to say, it's Jesus that you need to trust. It's Jesus you need to follow. It's Jesus who's worthy to be worshipped. If, if you're um, not used to church, if this is kind of, the whole church thing is kind of a new experience for you, I want you to say, look, it was new for all of us. I didn't step foot into a church until I was 18. I thought it was really weird. We didn't have even religious education in school in America, so I knew nothing. So it was all weird for me. So if this church stuff is new to you and it feels a bit weird, you're not alone. Everyone feels that way sometimes. And you might be hearing what we're talking about today and going, well, that's kind of interesting, but what has it got to do with me? Well, I want to say, first and foremost, if, if we've done anything today, that, that, well, let me change that. Whatever we've done today that doesn't look like Jesus, we ask for your forgiveness. And we just say, look, we're still in progress. We need, we need grace, we need forgiveness, we need mercy as much as anybody else. But also, we want you to know that we're not looking for you to join our church. Yes, we'd love to have you here. We'd love to have you be a committed part of the family, for sure. But that's not our goal. Our goal is that you would know the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus the Scriptures talk about. The one who claimed to be God's only son worked in supernatural ways that would prove that's the fact, predict his own death that he said he had to die to pay for our sins, and predict his own resurrection, and then rise from the dead and show himself to many witnesses, eyewitnesses, who saw him alive, spoke to him, saw him eat food after he, risen, he was risen from the dead. That Jesus, he's real and he's alive. That's who we want you to know. So if you never step foot in Servant's Church again and you come to know Jesus today, we're happy. Great is our reward in heaven. <laughs> but if you come to Servant's Church from now until kingdom come and you never come to know Jesus, we're grieved. Because we don't want you just to be a part of this church in its form or even in its function. We want you to be a part of his church family. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious teacher of the nation of Israel, he said to them, he said to him, you must be born again. He said something has to happen in you. 
There needs to be a spiritual rebirth. Nicodemus didn't get it. How can I be going to my mother's womb again? How does that work? And Jesus says, listen, he says these words. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man has to be lifted up. And he was referring to a story of when God's people, the Israelites, complained against God. They were bitten by these poisonous snakes as a judgment of God. And they cried out to God, and God says, you can still be saved even though you've rebelled against me. And they made a bronze serpent that represented their sin, and it was stuck on a pole. If you look at that pole, you'll be healed. And every person who looked at the pole in faith was healed. And so Jesus says, just like that serpent, that bronze serpent that represented sin, has to be lifted up. I need to be crucified and take on sin so that anybody who looks to me can be forgiven of their sins. And he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish in their sin, but have everlasting life. If you don't know Jesus yet, maybe you know of him, but you haven't yet been born again. I'm, I'm challenging you today to call on him. To call on God and say, God, you're, I'm, I'm accountable to you. It's you who will judge me, nobody else. And I need you to provide for my forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus did that. That his death and resurrection provides for my forgiveness and allows me to have a relationship with you. I want that, God. I want a real relationship with you. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to know you as my creator and my redeemer. I'm convinced by what I see in Scripture that if you call on the Lord today in faith, if you say to him, God, I want that, that he will save you. That he'll give you new life. You'll be born again.